Our current linear economic model of take, make and waste is utterly short-sighted. These open-ended processes create waste and degenerate the ecological and social balance we need to thrive. Circular principles help us close these loops and support the transition to a regenerative economy. To activate the circular economy, we usually look at business and industrial systems to redesign what they do and how they do it. But what if individuals became the architects of the circular economy? What if each individual on our 7.8 billion team human drove this transition from linear to circular? Hi, and welcome to Moonshot City. I'm Preeti Ambani, and I'm here with Juhi Sharif. And together, we're exploring the big questions around what makes a resilient and regenerative city. Today, we're delighted to welcome our guest, Sean Trevick. Sean is a business process engineer and community organizer. He has worked to build people-focused strategies and lean-driven operations for SMEs, multinationals, and community groups in a career spanning Africa and Australia. Drawing inspiration from his roots in South Africa, Sean believes in the power of Ubuntu to unite people around a common goal. Currently, Sean is director at Circular Economy Victoria, a non-for-profit to drive the transition towards a circular economy on a community level within Victoria, Australia. Through his work, Sean champions and empowers citizens to apply circular principles in their daily lives. Hi, Sean. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Priti. How are you guys going? We're great. Thank you. So, Sean, from an industrial engineer to activating a circular economy platform for individuals in Victoria, talk us through your journey so far. Yeah, it's been quite a journey. You know, I think growing up in South Africa and especially in my university days, we're surrounded by this narrative of social transformation where, you know, I'll use myself as an example, in my engineering class of 100 plus people, maybe only a handful of of non-white students. So the whole university, which was in a traditionally Afrikaans area in South Africa called Stellenbosch, a really beautiful area in the Winelands, but that Afrikaans traditional narrative was very strong throughout both academic life as well as, you know, campus life. So that really got me thinking from both the social side as well as my engineering side of why does this inequality exist and how can we actually transform our society and you know our engineering community. So I think that's where this idea of social innovation started with me. But then you know diving down into my career, I went and started working in the manufacturing and supply chain side of industrial engineering and started helping companies become more efficient and. Again, I was confronted by this extreme inequality that you find in South Africa, where you had this disparity of the 10% managerial staff, which are predominantly white, you know, really getting most of the economic benefit from the company and your vast majority of your fellow workers didn't really share in that. So here I was working in these companies, making them as efficient as possible as per my training, but we weren't really making the company effective. Most of the people that worked there didn't receive their fair share of, of the of the benefit of the company. So that's where that social innovation seed that was seeded throughout my upbringing and university days really started to gain traction in my head and made me start to question about what is my goal as an industrial engineer? Is my goal to make companies more efficient? What are the guiding principles that define this efficiency? And is it even efficiency? Is it more you know, effectivity? 
So, so that journey went on and I went traveling and spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia. And again, you know, total different context to my African upbringing. I saw the same disparity in, on the social side. And that social inequality is largely generated by industries and the economy's ineffectiveness in actually doing its job. So it took a while for me to come across the term circular economy, but about two and a half years ago, I read a book called Waste to Wealth that was written by two Accenture analysts at the time. And although that book takes a very right-wing side of circular economy, the way I think about it, that it was very much focused on circular advantage and building more wealth from waste, it really clicked with me because I saw the systemic nature of the circular economy. And I saw that as a way to kind of bridge my own inner conflict of doing good as an industrial engineer and helping business and industry become more effective. And then also meet, you know, filling that void of that I've always, you know, wanted to fill of closing that social inequality gap and really helping the world as well as my whatever context I find myself living in now as Australia, really close that social inequality gap and build an industry and economy that works for everyone. That's great, Sean. Thanks so much. It's really interesting to learn about your background. And obviously, living in different countries and traveling through different countries has impacted your journey and your perspective. You've said before that it will take billions of circular citizens working together to shift our industrialized world towards a circular economy. Can you tell us about the principles behind the community activation platform you're building for Victoria in Australia? Yeah, sure. You know, all through this journey as a student, as well as as an industrial engineer, I've seen that change is largely driven by individuals or small groups of individuals. If we take a large multinational and, you know, you look at an improvement project, that improvement project is, is run throughout the whole company. You create buy-in with all the different functions of the company, but it's really championed by a small group of either improvement professionals or change management professionals, or just someone that's really passionate about that specific topic. So when I started thinking about how I can make impact on, on our global transition to a circular economy, um, I thought there was a lot of traction there about using the individual, allowing the individual to see their own skill set and value set and goals through a circular lens or through the circular principles and see that they can achieve that using them and then use that as a catalyst for mass adoption of circular economy principles. So in Circular Economy Victoria, we started working on that. We, we followed this narrative and we got a group of individuals together that was very passionate about circular economy working around Melbourne. And we started asking questions of how we could actually turn this into a into some sort of model that we could do exactly what we set out to do and empower individuals to see their goals through a circular lens. And we went to a lot of conferences and had a lot of discussions with, you know, leaders in the waste and resource recovery space and circular economy space and new economic space and, and try to really um, get their opinions on this. And a big answer that came out of all those sessions and conferences was that we need to change uh, consumer sentiment in order to buy more circular, buy more recycled goods. We need to educate the public to be more conscious consumers. But then it always ended up saying that, you know, someone else needs to do it, basically. You know, we don't know how to do it. It's a very complex thing. So we've thought that that's exactly what we want to do with the individual is an individual is anyone, right? An individual is a stay-at-home parent right through to a CEO, right through to a, you know, a young professional starting their career to, you know, someone who is working in a trade or a student. And... All of these individuals have their own goals and their own objectives for their life. So 
how do we take circular principles, create a journey for this individual to learn about these circular principles and by doing so still achieve their goals, but do it in a much more holistic way. That's what Circular Economy Victoria has done with our ACA model, as well as our Circular Lens content builder. Sean, that's very interesting. Can you tell us a little bit more about the pillars or the principles of the ACA model you just mentioned? Sure. So the ACA model is based on a traditional engagement model or impact model where there's certain steps along a path towards an objective. So our objective is to empower individuals to see their goals through a circular lens. So we've built our ACA model on five pillars. Five pillars are awareness, education, collaboration, empowerment, and advocacy. The way we see it is that let's take a practical example of someone who's, who's gone through this model. So you come in not knowing anything about the circular economy. So you either attended an event or you've read an article or you found out about circular economy in the way I did by reading that Waste to Wealth book. So that's an awareness piece. So what Circular Economy Victoria tries to do is we try to host as many awareness events that reach as wide audiences as we can, try to get as many people aware about circular economy. Once you as an individual become aware about it, you see circular economy in a different way. You've seen, hopefully at this stage, you've become aware that there is value in this topic, circular economy, and you want to learn more about it. So once you make the decision to dive deeper, you start to refine your scope a bit. So you might say, oh, I'm really interested in, you know, keeping plastics out the ocean. So you'll go learn a bit more about that. Or you're really interested in something like biomimicry or industrial ecology, or maybe it's something very specific, like I want to do something good with my food waste. Uh, I don't want to, want to put it in my green bin or take it to the local compost, but I actually want to grow my own fruit from it and become self-sustaining. There's many different ways in that individual, depending on what their goals are, chooses to take that next step from awareness to education. So then again, Circular Economy Victoria started working with different stakeholders to ask the question of how can we then provide those educational opportunities to these individuals? And to a large degree, these educational opportunities really exist there. It's just about tying them all together and making people um, aware of them. And then the next step is once you become educated as an individual, you generally want to start talking to people about it and finding out more. And that's where the collaboration steps in, where you need some sort of place where people can come together and really test that education. They've gone and done a bunch of reading or they've attended a course or they've done something that's really educated them about a specific aspect of a circular economy or about the whole circular economy as a broad macro topic, maybe. And they just want to collaborate and really share those ideas. So that's where the collaboration side comes in. And then once you cross over from collaboration to empowerment, that's the step you take from thinking to really acting. And the goal of the empowerment step in our ACA model is how do we effectively empower people to, to now act upon this research they've, that they've done? So how do we empower them to apply a biomimicry point idea within their own sphere of influence? Or how do they actually go and build their own veggie garden with their food waste? Or how do they act on that plastic waste research that they've done? So this could be, you know, as form of an entrepreneur starting their business or an entrepreneur running a, a change project within their organization or just, you know, a stay-at-home parent or a, a concerned citizen that wants to do good in their own household or in their commons, in the community. So that's where the empowerment comes in. And we in Circular Con Victoria are looking um, at partnering with different organizations like 
city of Melbourne at the moment with their open innovation competition on waste and circular economy. That's an empower piece because they're really empowering people to act on the research that they've done and on the collaboration work that they've done setting up this um, initiative that they would apply to this open innovation competition. But obviously, there's a lot of different ways to empower it. And, you know, funding and money is one, but also support and network and experiences is another. And then the next step is advocacy. We at Circular Economy Victoria haven't really dived deep into what that looks like, but the way that we think about it now is once an individual has gone through this process and has been empowered and have actually succeeded, or even if they failed and learned from that, once they've gone through that process, that five-step model, they then become a, an advocate for the circular economy, even if it is just through that narrow lens that they've gone through. And the beautiful thing, and that's why the lenses tie in so well, is once they go through that process, that lens might change. So they might go in it um, with a, a very narrow idea of creating a veggie garden or with a very broad idea of thinking of how circular economy can be a catalyst for social change like myself. Um, but through that process, they then have access to different lenses and that idea can either narrow or widen or change at any point in time. The idea then being that people, if for instance, if they're now in the empowerment step on their veggie garden and planted their veggie garden, seeing results, they can jump back to the awareness stage and with their partner's company might be something to do with textiles, could then go through the model again on a whole different lens of textiles and what circularity can do to that. So that's that's our ACR model in a very rough nutshell. Sean, that's a really powerful way of leading and encouraging action, that no circular action is too small um, and you know creating that individual empowerment cycle. A question I had was how does this then support the economy, support businesses to actually create a more circular systemic shift. And by that, I mean, you know, an example would be, you know, if I'm a resident of Victoria and I want to minimize my packaging waste and I would love to shop at a grocery store which has uh, packaging free groceries. And so how does a grocery store then provide that systemic support to support my circular actions, for instance? So, you know, there's, it's not just wanting a packaging-free store or packaging-free experience. There's so many things around that that wrap around that make it easy for customers to adopt the circular lifestyle. So I'm curious to understand how does the insights from the ACR model and your platform then translate into business insight so that these businesses can take more systemic action towards circularity? I mean, that transition in itself is basically addressing a complex system. I mean, the idea Mm. of packaging itself, it's a really integrated system of global supply chains and hundreds of thousands of people working across the world you know um it's it's very complex to to solve and if you try to solve the whole problem as a whole you're never really going to succeed so you really got to break it up into these subsystems and then into subsystems and, and try to build up from fundamentals as well as then setting the overall policy and legislative environment or the landscape in which that change can happen So the way that we see it is we are system thinkers, but we don't have the capability to really address it on that level. So we've chosen to be system changes on an individual level. So we've boiled a system down to a base component of the individual. Now, when we think of individuals in that question of packaging, you have people that are using packaging, you have people that are supplying packaging. And then you have people that are providing the setting for that interaction to take place. So 
for Victorians that want to change packaging, we would want people to go on their own journeys around that. So for instance, if you're a zero waste advocate and want to eliminate all packaging from your life, which I've tried and it's really difficult and something that I work on every single day, how do I go on a journey through the ACM model of learning about firstly, what is packaging? What types of packaging are there? What are the recycling capabilities of these packaging and really understand what packaging I'm interacting on a daily basis and where those streams actually go um, and then empower them to act through, you know, different forms. Then on the, on the other side, the people that are supplying packaging and building a livelihood around these industries, if they're, for instance, if their company's packaging is not recyclable, how do we get those individuals to become an entrepreneur and run it and advocate for change within their own organizations? And we might even get a CEO of a large packaging company come through that model and want to, I mean, hopefully. And, you know, that's someone with a lot of influence and someone that can really drive change. But then you also got to, you got to go down the supply chain and address it there. And that's the power about individuals is you can get people to learn about packaging right throughout that value chain. And by doing so, it strengthens our own model about getting data back about what people actually think about packaging and what types of education and collaboration courses and um, opportunities we need to present to people. And then off, on the landscape side, how do you take policymakers and people that have the power, individuals that have the power to incentivize or regulate packaging? And what does that look like? And take them on a journey for them to apply their own innovation to the problem. So that's the way that we try to solve it is we try to take people on this journey to discover what circular packaging and co-design what circular packaging looks like. And then those individuals then go and apply that to their own spheres of influence. That's fantastic. Thank you. Sean, earlier you talked about the book Waste to Wealth, and one potential criticism of circular business models is that they might continue to benefit the wealthy and privileged. One way we're aiming to address social inequity in New Zealand is through the Māori indigenous perspective of the Kate Raworth donut economic model. Um, And we're calling the Māori donut takarangi, which means spiral. Can you talk about what Melbourne is doing with the donut and what the role of, of Circular Economy Victoria will be? Absolutely. Just on the Waste of Wealth book, I, th- I thought it was a really great book, but it's definitely one of many books that I've read. And that might have been that turning point, but we've actually aligned more with Kate Ray with Donut Economics and uh, Circular Economy Victoria. That's our vision. Our vision, we, we want to align to that vision of creating a safe and just space for for all of us to to live and thrive in balance with the planet. So what we've tried to do in Melbourne is so we've made that our vision statement, you know, create that safe and just space for humanity and uh, within the means of our livable planet. But now boiling that down from a vision to action, it's like, how do you first, this has been a journey for us as well. Um, how do you boil that down to something that's, you know, applicable? At the moment, we've had some great discussions with stakeholders around the city, including the city of Melbourne, and it is an ongoing discussion about how do we how do we apply this? And because the donut is, you know, it's a systems view of overall environmental, social and economic change, it's not something that we can just run with one project. It's going to be hundreds or thousands of different projects and different implementations of either the donut as a whole or specific entities of the donut working together in a complex system environment to really make the change. But what we're trying to do is two things. The first thing is we recognize that we need to have a top-down approach where the donut is the goal. It's a beautiful diagram that can be taken, 
contextualized to a certain context like the Melbourne context and then like what they did in Amsterdam is they created a you know a portrait of the current as is state of the city in the through the donut lens but that contextualized macro goal can then be used to drive further top-down action like policy development or program development or direct funding and the beautiful thing about it is all those different projects from a top-down perspective can then be viewed through the donut for alignment and make sure that everything that's being done is driving us into the donuts and not either leaving people behind on the social foundation side or pushing over the environmental ceiling uh, side. So that's the first thing, the top-down approach. The second thing we're doing is we're really rallying the troops on the grassroots level and building a a bottom-up approach. And this is about people that already are doing circular, you're running circular initiatives or involved in circular initiatives or if they are calling them donut initiatives or whatever they're calling them, as long as they are working to to create the safe and just space, they might even, you know, not recognize that that's what they're doing. They might just be advocating for gender equality and that's their sole purpose. And that's great. We need that focus. But it's all about saying, like, how can we leverage off people that are driving gender equality and then people that are driving you know, uh, education. Is there correlations between that and bring that systems perspective on the grassroots level about bringing people together and just collaborating and finding ways to compound impact. So that's what we're doing in Melbourne at the moment. And it's really exciting because the feedback we have got from everyone we've spoken to, and this is very early on our journey um, into the donut in in the Melbourne context, the, the feedback has been amazing and people are really excited about it. And um, I think one of the most exciting conversations I've had recently was about creating an Australian Indigenous donut. And this is unfortunately something that I can't, you know, really sink my teeth into because I never grew up in Australia. So that's the context I, I will always lack. And although I'm continually educating myself, it's really good speaking to um, Indigenous friends about this. And one, one question that I got that someone asked me was, is the donut actually appropriate for indigenous? I mean, is an indigenous donut just slap pack a few designs and, and changes to the donut or is it changing it entirely? Um, and this is something that took me off guard because, you know, I really believe in the donut as, as, a, as a mechanism for, for macro change, but this individual had a different opinion. And I think I'm very excited about diving deeper into that in the Australian setting and, and then as well, um, looking back to South Africa about what they're doing as well. And Durban is one of the advisory cities for this initiative globally, Donut Cities for Thriving Cities Initiative. So it's really exciting to see, you know, back home as well that they're contextualizing this this kind of idea and, and trying to implement it. I mean, Sean, it's so interesting to hear you say that because, of course, you know, Preeti and I are relatively new to Aotearoa, New Zealand. And so so we are working with our friends and associates who are Māori Indigenous people who are driving this forward from their perspective. You know, it's mm. um, it's really great to see how they have embraced the concept but actually made it their own. So uh, Tena Boisadine, who reimagined the donut from the Māori perspective, from her Māori perspective, is engaging with a lot of different groups and iwi, the Māori tribes, to really try to get to a place of consensus um, Mm. around that. But it's absolutely not something 
that is coming from us <laughs> you know it's no, something no. that is but we are working in partnership and we see that that actually by doing this and by creating this inverted donut which as i said is called a takarangi spiral with the environment as foundation has been a real process of learning for us so it, it's great to to hear that there's discussion and hopefully we'll see some of the indigenous donut work coming out of australia because that was going to be a question that i had for you oh, no. um just touching on the on the uh, Maori donut is that um, the inner ecological boundary, the the last breath or our last breath, mm. that was just something so powerful that when I read it, I was like, you know, that's that's a whole new perspective I, I never considered, and it was really really great to see that. Yeah, and I think you know, so many people have actually pointed to that very thing that uh, Sean that has also inspired you. Um, and I think for Juhi and me, it's it's a real learning to work alongside and learn more about the indigenous representation and the value of ecological systems to indigenous people and Maori here in New Zealand. So it's been a, mm. an eye opening journey. And it's um it's great to see that you know this model is really you know, being taken down to the base level and really open for discussion. Because, you know, one thing that I'm a strong advocate is strength in diversity. And, you know, the idea of Ubuntu is I am because we are. Um, you can't really be an individual without a community. And that's a bit of a paradox. But we are inherently better when we work together. And ecosystems are inherently stronger when they are diverse. So I think really just power to the people in co-designing this and contextualizing it and making it their own. Yes, it's great that you touch on that. We've had a, a recent conversation with a real leader in cradle-to-cradle -cradle thinking, Katya Hansen, who talks to that very fact about the need for diversity. And particularly, you know, in our post-COVID context, we were realizing quite how, how fragile having this monoculture is, you know, in terms of supply chains and, and so much more. Thank you so much, Sean, for speaking with us and sharing your journey with Circular Economy Victoria. We need all stakeholders involved in creating this change for a regenerative economy. So your work on activating individuals to support circularity by linking circular outcomes to their personal goals is, is absolutely fantastic. And we look forward to following your work in Melbourne and your work on the donut. So thank you again. Brilliant. Thank you very much for, yeah, for this great conversation and um, really appreciate the work you guys are doing. Thank you, Sean. So visit us at projectmoonshot.city and on Twitter at moonshotcity to learn more about the work Sean is doing with the Circular Economy Victoria and about the donut and also about the Melbourne Open Innovation Competition with the theme of Waste in the Circular Economy, which is open now until the 3rd of July 2020. I'm Juhi Sharif. I'm Preeti Ambani. This is Moonshot City.